0: talking in Sunday school about baptism. Some, some lady who had p- the perfect peace of God was told by someone she's going to hell if she didn't baptize. Now I'm a Baptist preacher, but baptism has never saved anyone, Amen. and it sent more people to hell than it's saved. Why? It never saved anyone, but if you believe that baptism saved you, you're not saved. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. nothing else can wash our sins away. Uh, Years ago, I took my son to a doctor. He had swallowed a $100 bill. I wanted to find a way to get it back. I said, If he ate some yeast, would it raise the dough? He said, No, no, but let me know if there's any change because I'd like to be paid my copay. You'll get that in a minute. We're looking at Exodus chapter 4 this morning. Uh, Love the Old Testament, preaching a series through Exodus. Uh, Went through the book of, uh, I guess, Galatians, and now we're in the Old Testament. Uh, Levi's going to preach tonight. I spoke somewhere uh, Wednesday morning as well. I think I've spoken eight times this week, so I'll I'll, uh, have Levi fill in for me tonight, and he'll do a good job. Appreciate him. But uh, Exodus chapter 4, Moses' first excuse was, we learned last week, who am I? I mean, he was insecure, as we all are. We all feel inadequate. And we have to learn our sufficiency comes from Christ, and our strength is made weakness, uh, is, is perfect in our weakness. And uh, here he wanted uh, uh, answers because he didn't feel adequate. Then he wanted to know uh, who sent him. He said, what do I say about who sent me? In Chapter 3, verse 14. And the Lord said, tell him the I Am sent you, the ever-existent one. And now he says, they'll not trust me. They're they're not going to believe me. Uh, God had given him much assurance in chapter 3. Remember all those times God said, I am, I will, I'll do it, I'll take care of you. All those things God said to give him assurance and he still didn't believe the people would believe him. And uh, really it was more about his attitude than his ability. Look at chapter 3, verse 18, and then chapter 4 and verse 1. In 3.18, we are reminded from last week, and they shall hearken to thy voice. Let's stand. I know that's, a, I forget that's the custom here and all these, I've been here two and a half years, still forget. I don't know what I forget, but I forget. But here he says, verse 18, and they shall hearken to thy voice. What did God say? Moses, they'll listen to you. They're going to listen to you. Look, chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Boy, he doesn't have a lot of faith. He's in this conversation with God. He just doesn't believe it's going to happen. Let's pray. God bless us as we look into your word. Lord, you've written these things to us so we can know that we have eternal life. And you spoke to Moses, and your word was assuring, but he didn't accept it. And you said they will, and he still doubted. Help us in a turmoil, a world full of turmoil. And a turmoil, maybe a a turmoil in our neighborhood or our work or in our lives. Lord, help us to realize you are still God, and you still reign. And Lord, help us to just put our faith and trust in you so we know everything's going to be all right. Bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, we look first of all at Moses' answer of skepticism. Here God's given him all this assurance last week we learned, and what does he say? Lord, they, they won't believe me. Uh, they will not believe me, and they won't believe you appeared to me. And he says in verse 2, And the Lord said unto him, What's in thine hand? So here he's going to go to Egypt. Maybe he thought uh, he had a bad past. He'd killed an Egyptian. Maybe he thought he'd been gone too long. And the ways of the Egyptians, maybe they wouldn't accept him. They look upon him as a foreigner. Uh, you know, I don't know what he was thinking, but he is arguing with God and saying, God, they're not going to believe me. God had just said they will believe you. I'll make it happen. But he's arguing with God. How many times do we fret about what's going on in our world? All week I've been thinking, these new ways they do elections. You used to know when I was a kid who was a president, didn't have all this corruption. Now you wait three days and they tell you, uh, the the guy who was in the lead lost, the other guy won. And you're like, what in the world's going on? And, And you see all around you all the things in our world and it's troubling for a believer. But we should be at rest and peace because we know who's in control. No matter what happens around us, the Bible says men will wax worse and worse. Think of 20 years from now. Think of the the, the possibilities for your grandchildren. Boy, it's kind of gloomy, isn't it? To think about the future of our world. And that's why we have to keep trusting and looking at Him. And we, we find here in chapter four, The Lord said, what's in thine hand? And so he's questioning God, and he says, what's in thine hand? Remember, God uses what's already ours. Now, that's not a great theological point, because this is all about God. It's not about the rod, it's about God. And, And we sometimes look at circumstances and things, and we start to think that, you know, we somehow are involved. Yes, we're involved, but we're only a rod in God's hand. He says, throw down your rod. And he throws down his rod. They wouldn't believe me, Lord. Oh, yes, they will. Throw down your rod. Remember David's sling? Sham guard's ox goat. I almost brought my ox goat today. I have one in my office. It's sort of like a club. Remember, Samson used the jawbone of an ass. Gideon used empty pitchers with lights in them. I mean, God uses what's ours, and he will perform because he's God, not because our rod is so great or our jawbone or our sling is great or our abilities, when you start to think that it's your ability or something in you that is bringing about the goodness of God, you're mistaken, it's all God, it's all God. I know what I am, you know what you are. When God uses you, you know it's all him. And so he says, take the step, throw it on the ground. He does and of course it becomes a serpent. The staff was used for walking, where the rod was more of a corrective instrument. Revelation tells us God's going to rule with a rod of iron one day. We know the psalmist said, he comforts me with his rod. In fact, in the 23rd Psalm, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. So we know he comforts us. The Hebrew words also translated branch in your Bible. They used a kai wood. In fact, today monks are still building, making rods for shepherds today. And for people who hurt animals. And so here he says, what's in your hand? Throw it down. It becomes a serpent. I've also had a little point here I've heard over the years. Let go of what you have. You had to let go of it. Let go of what you have. Don't hang on to what you have. Let go of it. And so he lets go of it and it becomes a serpent. And all of us need to learn the same lesson I just mentioned before. It's not about the serpent. It's not, it's not about the rod, it's about the God. It's the God of the rod, all right? You're not a hot rod, God is the rod. And so he had to understand that it's all about God. He had to depend on God. Now, this was probably a cobra, common in the area, and the Egyptians, remember, worshiped snakes. So he, he has this rod, and he throws it down, and it becomes a serpent. What does Moses do? He's still not listening. He takes off on a run. Well, I would, too. When God's talking with him, and the rod becomes a serpent, how good was his faith? It didn't last a second. He bolts. He runs. He doesn't want to be near that serpent. I I read an interesting story. I thought this was funny. This guy's visiting the Grand Canyon. He lost his footing, fell over the side. On the way down, he grabbed a hold of a branch. And he's hanging under the branch, and he's saying, hey, are you up there, God? Can you help me? And a calm voice said, what's your problem? Maybe I can help you. He said, well, I'm hanging here. I'm about to fall. I mean, can you help me? He said, do you believe? Yes, I believe. Do you have faith? Yes. Just let go of the branch and trust me. And he said, is there anyone else up there? (laughs) It's about like our faith sometimes. I mean, we just don't trust God. And and God's still in control. He's still got it. You know, he's in control. And so we have to have the faith in God, not faith in the instrument. It's, it's faith in the person of God. He says here in verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham. Hey, this is the same God. Did you know you still serve the same God as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Now Moses has to learn. These guys have been gone for 400 years. He serves the same God as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. He's, and you serve the same God. He says, "Now take your hand and, and put it in by your in your chest, by your heart." And he puts it in, and he pulls it out, and it's full of leprosy. Of course, that's kind of frightening because leprosy was incurable in that day. They had a leper colony in Panama, and they had one in Okinawa. I visited both; didn't go inside, but just saw the lepers there. In Panama, they were kind of behind in medicine, and they were covered with leprosy. A very sad thing. Today we have medicines, thank God for it. But back then it was an incurable, deadly disease. Study sometimes chapter 13 of Leviticus and you'll find that there are six things there about leprosy that are the same as sin. First of all, I'll just give you these quickly. Leprosy appears harmless, just a little speck. Sin appears that way, doesn't it? just something little. It's just a white lie. You know, I'm, just, I'm I just ran a little red light. I just spoke a little ugly to someone, but there's always a, a worse scenario. The other guy at work cusses at people. I don't. I just yell. You know, and, and so we we have this this idea that sin is harmless. Second of all, leprosy is deeper than the skin. You know, when you're driving, you make a mistake, and the guy, you know, gives you the number one. If you're from a foreign country, that doesn't mean you're number one. It means you know you're bad. You know. And, and you get that, that finger flipped at you, it's more than his finger. It comes from here. Sin comes from here. And third, it's insidious and it's spread. You don't realize leprosy spreading. When he pulled his hand out, it was already covered. It was obvious. That had to frighten Moses. But a lot of times, leprosy, like sin, we just don't realize it's spreading. It's contagious. Did you know you can't sin without harming someone else? Sin's contagious. Fifth, it kills. The wages of sin is... And finally, what did they do with leprosy? They burnt everything that came in contact with the leper. And, of course, sin is dealt with ultimately by fire. And so you can make that comparison. Read Leviticus 11. So he puts his hand. He pulls it out. And, and his hand is now healed. Look at verse 8. And it shall come to pass that they will not believe thee, neither hearken unto thy voice, of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. God says, they're going to believe you. may take a little a coaching, but but they're going to believe you. They're going to listen to you. And in verse 9, he, he says, And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, from the two signs, he says, we'll turn some water into blood. We'll take a little of the Nile water and turn it to blood. Of course, eventually he turned the whole Nile into blood for the Pharaoh. Get them to believe, but he would turn the water into blood. Now, remember, the Nile was sacred to the Egyptians, and that we'll talk about those plagues when we get there. So, his answer was an answer of skepticism, and now his abilities in question. Moses is questioning his own ability. Look at verse ten, and Moses said unto the Lord. <clears throat> now, the word "Lord" remembers all capital letters. So, who is that? That's Yahweh. That's the Lord Jesus in his angelic form before he came into Bethlehem to be born in flesh. So the Lord, and then, oh, my Lord, and there's small O-R-D, so that here is Elohim, he says Yahweh, Yahweh Adonai, excuse me. He said, Yahweh, he said, Jesus, my Lord, is what it's like saying today. He said, I'm not eloquent. I'm not eloquent. I'm just uh, not a man of words. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 2, 1. Paul said, I am slow of speech. I'm not an excellent speaker. Yet we find Paul before all these Roman emperors, Galileo, Galileo, and, all these, Galileo and all these other Romans. He speaks really great. He speaks on Mars Hill, the center of Areopagus. All these brilliant uh, Greeks were there, and Paul spoke to them. And here's Moses. I- I'm not a man of words. I'm slow of speech. Yet Stephen said in Acts 7.22, Moses was a powerful speaker, powerful in speech. So it's just another excuse. I'm not a good speaker. He would speak to Pharaoh, and he's arguing pretty good hearing. He's arguing with God. I'm not good in speech, and he's he's telling the Lord, you know, what he's not good at. And I love verse 11. I can just imagine what it would be like. The Lord said, who made your mouth? What is man that thou art mindful of? We see in our world, these people get up and say, there's no God, there's no evidence of God. And you know, we need to quit letting Christians influence. And, and even one of our leaders in our country said, you know, Christians who really believe the Bible are a threat to democracy. Well, we're maybe a threat to anarchy, but we're not a threat to the Republic. Our country's not a democracy. We're a Republic. Did you know that? Democracy, the majority of rules, and we call ourselves a republic because we are governed by rules and by laws which came from this book. And our founding fathers continually quote this book and talk about the almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're no threat to democracy. We're probably the reason this country's still alive. Because when God raptures the church out, guess what's going to happen to America? We're going to be like the rest of the world, going against Israel, and the Lord's going to defeat all the nations of the world. And the Bible said none will stand with Israel. We won't stand with Israel because Christians are gone. We're not the threat. Sin is the threat. Evil is the threat. What's going on in our world? Because the Bible says God blesses a righteous nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so I've gotten off the subject, but we're getting back here. In verse 11, who made your mouth? Who do you think you are? Who does the atheist think he is? Every knee's gonna bow. I mean, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. If you can't look out in creation and see that there had to be a designer behind all that design. If you think that all happened by accident, I don't want you building a house for me. I, I don't want you to keep blowing products up and hoping they all fall into place. I mean, it's so stupid. And what does the Bible say? They are fools. Do you know the New Testament word, fools, the word moros? We get our word moron from it. Now, don't go out and witness and call people morons. But people who believe everything happened by accident, they're fools. They're fools. And so here he says, Who made your mouth, Moses? I actually created a design to design your big mouth. And if I say you can use it, you can use it for my glory. Give up on the excuses, Moses. He says in verse 12, I'll teach you what to say. You know, in the New Testament, we're told that we ought to know how to answer every man. That word answer is an interesting word. It's our word apologetics. Apologetics may scare you, but that's just defending the faith. Knowing how to say to people who don't believe in God, God is real. Here's the evidence. We have internal evidence in this book. I'm always fascinated by all the things this book said before we discovered it. You know, we've talked about this. How did Isaiah know the world was round thousands of years ago? How did Job know the moon wasn't a light, but just a reflector of the sun's light? He didn't. He wrote on the inspiration of God, but God knew. How did David know it was a female spider that spun the web? He never had a microscope. God told him what to write. And so we have the internal evidence, and we have the external evidence. And so he says, who made your mouth? I made your mouth. God spoke and gave Moses his mouth. So third, he's going to have to have a little attitude check. He says here in verse 13. And he said, Oh, my Lord, send, I pray, by the hand of him whom thou sendest. He said, Lord, I'm here and everything. I hear what you're saying, uh, but send someone else and, and let me know when you choose to send someone else. I mean, going back in the early part of the chapter, he says, behold, Lord. In other words, look, Lord. Let me teach you something, Lord. Look, I'm not a good speaker, Lord. You understand? And and God's very angry with him. Not, Not because he felt inadequate, helpless and hopeless, like we often feel. All of us feel insecurity in our lives. None of us feel we measure up. Did you know that? You can find the most confident leader in the world, the most brilliant person in the world, and they have all kinds of insecurities. The only person that feels totally secure is the one who's very close to his Lord. That person has a relationship, he understands what's going on, he's got it, man. He or she's got it. Why? There are sufficiencies in him. It doesn't come by your brilliant mathematical ability your building skill, or your, your beautiful hat and hair and makeup, or, or your big, strong muscles, none of that fills the void in our life. I don't know how many people I've met that you say, well, they've got it all together. And after spending some time, you think, boy, they've really got problems. They don't have it all together. They're, they, they may have it all together, but they're all mixed up, and they can't find whatever they have together. You know I mean? just You're like, wow, this person's really lacking. And I've met people, you know, traveling. You sit next to someone at the airport and and they're on their computer and they got it all together. And and you say, you know, what do you do? And you find out they have a really prestigious job and and they make a lot of money and you're so impressed with them until they open up their mouth and say, well, I'm on my fifth marriage. My son's in jail. Yeah, I'm just making this up. But you know what I'm talking about. It seems as though they they don't have anything together because they don't know God. He's the one who makes the mouth. He's the one who makes the hands. He gives us all of our ability. And so here's Moses. He's arguing with God. Please send someone else. Please send someone else. Maybe he was too comfortable in Midian. Quite often we don't want to do anything because we're so comfortable. Oh, I don't want to help with this thing at church, you know, then I've got to get to church Now, none of you said that, but you thought it. I really don't think I'm skilled enough to to do this. I don't know if I have the energy. I don't know if I have the time. It's amazing how little time we have when it comes to God's work. I I watched football yesterday. You didn't know that I watched football ever, did you? And uh, I spent, you know, one game is several hours. I found myself watching another game. And I thought, you know, I haven't taken time to spend quality time with my Lord. And that happens to all of us on a regular basis, doesn't it? We, we can't squeeze God in. M- maybe we can go to church once in a while and that'll be our time for God. This is a time to worship God, but it's, it, there's also times to serve God. Did you know everyone in church, just like in the Lord's ministry, needs to be a Mary and a Martha? Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet and learn and learn and learn, but she didn't want to go in the kitchen and help. Who'd want to go help in the kitchen when you can sit there and listen to Jesus? But Martha, she wanted to cook a good supper, and she was concerned that the napkins weren't folded properly, and the silverware wasn't shining. And she's getting more riled up by the minute because Mary's lazy. She's in there sitting on her backside, not doing a thing to help me in the kitchen. She came out and let Jesus know. He said, Martha, you're you're cumbered is the word in in our Bible, but you're all worked up and frustrated about this. Why don't you sit down for a while and just listen? I'd like to have been there. And sometimes in church, we have people who just always want to be working and don't want to be into the Word. I mean, after all, I know it all. Why go sit and listen to a pastor who doesn't know much? Nobody says that here. I'm not saying that. And then there are people that says, I'm going to church. I'm not going back in the kitchen. And they're always under the word. We need to be both Mary's and Martha's. And not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday through Friday, right? We are to be servants. That's our purpose here. So he he says he's going to advise God, just send someone else. And now the long-suffering, impatient, always patient God now, fed up with Moses, is getting very angry. And it says in verse 14, look at verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The word anger is an interesting word. It means nostril or nose. And the idea is is God is breathing smoke. A.T. Robertson, if he did this on Old Testament words, he'd give you a mental picture of God and smoke come out of his nose. In fact, the word kindled means to burn. He's burning with anger. Why? Was it because Moses thought he was inadequate? No. God gets that. He understands that. Was it because Moses didn't feel like he measured up? No. It's because Moses had a stubborn attitude. And rebellion is as witchcraft. And he's rebelling against God, saying, I don't want to do it. God knew his heart. And so he's angry with him because he's rebelling. And God, the Bible says, here's anger. And what does God say when he's angry? He says, Aaron, the Levite, thy brother. He said, he can speak well. He's, he's on his way to meet you. Now, I, this is interesting. Now, Aaron's going to come to help. Now, Aaron eventually led the children of Israel into worshiping a golden calf, making one. In 40 days, he was able to make a golden calf and worship a golden calf. And, and so, he's just saying, you've got a, a, a good f- a, a, a articulate speaker coming and you can use them if you need, but I'll give you the words. I'll put words in your mouth and you can put them in Aaron's mouth. It's just an excuse, Moses. Aaron's on his way. I just, I just can imagine seeing God's anger. Just really angry. Oh, I love the Lord and I love his patience with me. I know he's been angry with me many times. You know, there's times I've done things so stupid. You didn't know I was that dumb, but I am, and you are as well. And we get God angry, and, and when he starts to chase us, why are you picking on me, Lord? Why are you doing this to me? Sometimes I wish God spoke in an audible voice. You know What would he say to us? If God just had just had one bad day and he could sin for one moment, he can, he's God. I'd imagine he'd just really let me have it. You idiot. What in the world? I I created you. Are you that dumb that you would do that? But I love the Lord how he's patient with us. He's so long-suffering and patient. And he's sending Barnabas, his brother, and Barnabas would be kind of like, uh, I mean Barnabas, I mean Aaron, his brother, he'd be kind of like Barnabas, the encourager. He's sending Aaron to come and encourage. I love that about Barnabas. Paul had some tough times. I mean, Paul's writing in Philippians 4 about the peace with God, and he's in prison. He had been beaten. He's in prison. He's writing about having peace with God. I love that. But when Paul was discouraged at times, there was always Barnabas. I-, I love that. Do you encourage others? Barnabas is making a 700 mile trip. He probably had to stand in that subway line for a long time and worry about thugs beating him up. No. It was by camel. 700 miles, if he had a camel or he walked. And God had touched his heart long before this argument took place, and Aaron's already on the way. And he's the Barnabas in Moses' life. He's on his way to meet you. Look at verse 27. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went, and he met him in the Mount of God and kissed him. It was Mount Sinai. That was a common greeting. I don't kiss people. It's not our culture. I shake hands. In Japan, I bowed, but the greeting of the day was a kiss. So he's come, he's on his way to greet you. And Aaron's glad in his heart. Look at verse 15 now. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth. And with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. You're going to be Aaron's spiritual leader. I mean, he's, he's putting some responsibility on his back, isn't he? Aaron's going to be your spokesman, you're going to be his spiritual leader. Did you know every one of you is called to disciple someone else? That's right. We're called to make disciples. We're not just called to win souls. We're called to disciple someone. You are responsible for someone's spiritual growth. There has to be at least one person in your life whom you've ministered to and helped them along spiritually. Maybe it's your child, but you're called to disciple. And now Moses, you're going to be Aaron's spiritual leader. I mean, he had to help Aaron. Moses had to help Aaron, obviously. Moses went away for 40 days, and he did all that idolatry. And he turned against Moses and Miriam attacked Moses. I mean, Moses was going to end up being a great leader. He didn't realize how much God would use him. Moses would eventually talk to Pharaoh and speak to the people. He would be used. His mouth would be used. Then he says in verse 17, and thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, and verse 20 calls it the rod of God, with, wherewith thou shalt do signs. You're going to work miracles with this rod. You're going to lead the people, and you're going to speak to Pharaoh, and you're going to be a spiritual leader to Aaron. That's what I'm requiring of you. And now to give Moses some credit and a break, he ended up being a great leader for Israel. He led them through the, through the Sinai Desert, across the Red Sea. They got into the wilderness. And they murmured and complained for 40 years, and the whole generation was killed. They couldn't enter the promised land. But Moses led them. He was the man for the hour. He's in the hall of faith of Hebrews. I want to ask you a few questions. First of all, are you outright rebellious to God? Oh, no, I wouldn't talk to God like that. Oh, really? What are you doing for God? What's your ministry during the week? How many times do you hand out gospel literature, invite someone to church, help a needy family, make some cookies for a neighbor? You don't have to answer it. But what is your ministry for God? He expects to use your mouth. I can talk about football gonna talk about Jesus I can talk about finances I can listen to television I can listen to the radio do I spend time and do you spend time opening your mouth for the Lord Jesus Christ or do you say well I I I don't know how to witness one guy one time said well when when I really get close to the Lord then I'm gonna really start witnessing I said you'll never witness I knew a guy one time said, when I make a million dollars, I'm going to start giving a bunch to missions. I said, you'll never give to missions. If you're waiting, on becoming what you think you should be. Did you know right now, if you're a child of God, you are right where God wants you? Stop waiting to become something. I used to listen to my pastor preach, and I used to think, wow. When God called me, I wanted to be just like him. And I'm not like him. He was the most articulate, awesome speaker. He spoke at Moody and he spoke at all these seminaries, Dallas Theological, and he was just such a good speaker. And I'm not that. But if I said, well, I'm gonna wait until I become like him, as smart as him and to speak as smoothly as him. No, I step all over my words. I slur, I stutter, I spit. I'll never be that. And if I waited, I'd never be here today you would be sitting home thinking, boy, I can't wait till I become eloquent. It's Moses' idea. I'm not, I'm not an eloquent speaker, Lord. Paul said the same thing. Are you rebelling against God? If you are using your excuses to not do anything for God, you are. Rebellion, rebellion doesn't always come with just saying, God, I'm not doing that. No, it's, it's in here. It's just saying, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to get involved. Second of all, are you skeptical? Do you doubt God's going to take care of it? I mean, certainly the elections, they're learning to phase it in slowly so the blunt doesn't anger us. But all of us get frustrated when we see evil triumph. But it's not going to triumph permanently. Every knee's going to bow one day. Third, are you a rod in God's hand? Are you an instrument of God that God can use you? Or are you rebelling and not even allow him to have a hold of your life? And the fourth thing I have here is, will you speak for God? You know, when I was a young guy and God began to work on me about preaching, I I didn't want to witness. I remember just even when I was in middle school, the prettiest girl in our middle school showed up at my church one day. Went to school the next week, she said, He's a holy roller, he, he's at one of these church, she told everybody, everybody was saying, holy roller. And I said, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. I wanted to be cool, you know. And in high school, I didn't live the way I should live. And even in the first few years, couple of years really of junior college, I was not living for God. And finally it dawned on me, I'm a coward. I don't dare to be a Daniel. I'm not a soldier of the cross. I'm given into the world because I'm a chicken. And it was when I was 19 that I said, from now on, it's all about Jesus. I told my friends, and everybody knew he really was a holy roller. But it didn't happen until I was 19. I was saved at 12. Seven years of cowardice. It's easy to go to work and just be like the people at work. It takes guts to stand up and say, I'm a child of God. I thank God I'm a child of God, you know? I can enjoy eggnog without the added ingredients, you know? I have something in my life the world doesn't have. I'm not all upset. I'm not going to smash any windows because my candidate didn't win. I'm not going to write graffiti on the wall. I have a person who assures me he's in control of everything in this ugly, ugly, ugly world. He's God, and he's God alone, and I'm thankful for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, always assuring, and the reoccurring themes of you're in control, and Jesus saves. Every week, Lord, we have to be reminded that Jesus is the Savior. If there's anyone here who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, help them today to say, I want to meet Jesus, and to come forward to meet Him to hurry like the apostles when they heard it may have been the Messiah. He's here, he's here. Lord, you're here this morning. You're indwelling in my body right this moment. You're omnipresent. You are in our church service today. and Help us to keep our minds stayed on you. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Jesus. Bless now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our altars are open. If you need the Lord, please come.